Thanks, babe. Yeah, that's what we call each other. <laughs> I go, well, good morning. Please grab a Bible and open it to Genesis chapter 44. The post-it note will get you to Genesis, and then you just got to flip until you find the big number 44. Um, we have some of the passages on the screen, not quite yet, um, please, but um, the main passage we don't put on the screen because I want you to get in the habit of reading Bibles for yourself, all right? Um, so this past week in the story we read about the life of Joseph, we're going to continue to focus on his life today, especially the end of it. Um, last week when we were on, can you go back and help so that we don't have the words on the screen quite yet? Yeah, I think we're having a little difficulty with pro presenter acting up. Thank you. Um Last week, I mentioned, as we talked about Abraham, that he God made some incredible promises to Abraham, but one of them, the basic promise, was, if you follow me to a place, I'll show you. It's going to be this unknown place you don't know ahead of time. But if you follow me to a place I will show you, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And that is a promise that God actually offers to all of us. That if we follow him to a place in life that he's going to show us, he will bless us and make us into a blessing. And that is certainly true in the life of Joseph. The beginning of Joseph's story, we kind of saw in that video, which it was a kid's video, but honestly, it did the best job of any video I could find. Um, But it, it shows the family division and trauma that was in his life. And the family was divided because the father, Isaac, he actually had children with four different women. And his favorite wife was Rachel. And so she gave him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. So those were his favorite sons, but especially Joseph, because Rachel died when she gave birth to Benjamin. So Joseph just grew up kind of this spoiled, arrogant brat. And he would rub it in the face of his brothers. And so as you saw, they decided to sell him into slavery. Now, scripture records that idea was Judah's idea. His brother Judah was the one who came up with the idea to sell him. And he sold that idea and convinced the rest of the brothers, except Reuben, to go along with it. And when the brothers return and they have um, Joseph's coat dipped in blood... I mean, Isaac, he just starts weeping and grieving. He thinks Joseph's been torn apart by an animal. And Judah can't handle the guilt. He cannot handle seeing his father grieve this way. So the very next chapter, which like always gets skipped over, is chapter 38. And Judah moves away from his family. Because he can't handle it. And he hits rock bottom. And he has this God encounter. And God begins to transform Judah. Meanwhile, God is also transforming Joseph. From this arrogant, spoiled brat into an entirely different kind of person. Genesis 39, verses 1 through 2, says this. Um... Do we have it? There we go. All right, thank you. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt 
Potiphar. He was an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials. He was the captain of the guard. He brought him, bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Often when bad things happen to us, which I, I mean, you can't get much worse than being sold into slavery by your own family. Um, when bad things happen to us, we think God has abandoned us. But nothing could be further from the truth. This verse says the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. The next verse says when the master saw that the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So he's kind of moved from slave to attendant. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Now, later, Joseph's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be thrown in prison. And again, it seems like Joseph has every right to become bitter, to think God has abandoned him. But God's word says this in verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. There it is again. The Lord is still with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So God is with Joseph even in prison. And instead of becoming bitter, Joseph He just serves to the best of his ability, no matter where God takes him. And so the next verse, 22, says the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because why? The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know... I don't know if anybody actually thinks this out loud, but inwardly we think and we act this way. Like if God is loves me and if God is for me, then he will make my life easy. Nowhere in scripture does it God say, because I love you, I'm going to make your life easy. It's just not in the Bible anywhere. Rather... Scripture's perspective is that even if things can outwardly seem comfortable and good, like inwardly, we're broken. We're broken people. And so God, he will lead us out of our comfort to some place where, and that journey will heal us and bless us. And he's going to bless us two ways. He blesses us inwardly by giving us peace and joy And he also will bless us outwardly. And he doesn't just bless us for our own sake. He blesses us to turn us into a person who can be a blessing to others. Have you ever wondered if God is sending you into a difficult circumstance, whether that be a bad work environment or a neighborhood with crazy neighbors, um, 
or family that are just difficult people. Yeah, you know, have some difficult people in our families. Did you ever wonder if God sends you into those circumstances? Because he not only wants to bless you there, but he wants to use you to bless those people. Like, for example, how is God supposed to transform toxic workplaces workplaces, unless he sends Christians into toxic workplaces? Have you ever thought about that? Um, About a year ago, we were studying the book of Ephesians. Some of you weren't here then. Some of you were. Um, And we learned that from Ephesians that we are the body of Christ that is to... Fill everything in every way. That's kind of the theme verse for Ephesians. Do you remember this? Ephesians 1.22. And God placed all things under his, that's Jesus, under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for who? The church. That's you and I, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. How is the church, the body of Christ, supposed to fill everything in every way if God does not send some of us to dark places? God loves everyone. He wants to help everyone, including the people in those dark places. So sometimes he sends his people into difficult environments so he he can bless you there and make you into a blessing for the people there. Joseph is an extreme example, right? Most of us, God is not going to lead into be falsely accused and in prison or into workplaces as toxic as Potiphar's household. But if you're a follower of God, he is going to send you to uncomfortable places so he can bless you and turn you into a blessing for other people. And you can either resist Or you can go begrudgingly, you know, and sometimes we do that. (laughs) And then you will never receive the blessing God has for you. And you will never know the fulfillment of being a blessing that miraculously transforms other people's lives. Or you can do what Joseph did. Which is no matter where God leads you, you just serve to the best of your ability. And that reminds me of another verse from Ephesians, where God tells workers to obey their masters. Ephesians 6, God says, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. I think this is a perfect picture of what Joseph was doing. Serve wholeheartedly. As if you were serving the Lord, not people. Why? Because, nope. Because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Do you guys recall the parable of the talents? Jesus tells a story where there's a king and he gives talents to different people which is actually like bags of gold. And what happens to the one who doesn't use it? It gets gets taken away. What happens to the ones who use the gifts that the king has given them? 
they get more. They get more. God rewards them and he gives them more. And that's exactly what we see happen in the life of, G- of Joseph. Joseph goes from a guy who whose leadership abilities are, his father says, go check on your brothers. <laughs> right? To then leading Potiphar's household, then to leading the prison. And that's not the last place God is going to lead him to. While in prison... Joseph interprets dreams for some other prisoners. And one of them gets released and, and then returns to become Pharaoh's chief cupbearer. And he totally forgets about Joseph. <laughs> and until the day, Pharaoh has a dream and no one can interpret it. And then the guy goes to Pharaoh. He's like, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. <laughs> it's like the best segue ever. <laughs> and he lets Pharaoh know about Joseph. So Joseph is brought from the prison. They clean him up and he comes before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, like, I've heard you can interpret dreams. And Joseph actually gives all the credit to God. Look at what he does. In chapter 41, verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Isn't that interesting? Joseph's no longer proud and arrogant. He's been interpreting dreams since he was a teenager. But he doesn't take credit for it. Being sold and imprisoned has transformed Joseph into a humble servant of God. So Joseph, he interprets Pharaoh's dream, which is a sign from God. It, it basically means Egypt is going to have seven years of abundant harvest and then seven years of famine. And Joseph, he not only interprets this dream, but he gives Pharaoh a plan about how to prepare for the famine. And Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph. What happens? He puts him in charge of everything. It's the same thing that has happened over and over again in Joseph's life. Joseph's life. Pharaoh makes Joseph second in command over all Egypt, second only to him. When God leads you to difficult places, he does not abandon you. He will equip you to do what is necessary in that place, make you a blessing, and he will bless you. God blesses Joseph with a beautiful wife, Pharaoh's daughter. She's a princess. Joseph is now part of the royal family. God blesses Joseph with two sons, um, a great job. You know, he's got respect and authority. He's got wealth. I, I mean, you name it, Joseph has it. But God also made Joseph a blessing. Thousands of people are saved because of Joseph. Like, that, because he prepares for the famine and then is able to sell people grain, thousands of lives are saved through him. But God's not done yet. I want you just to imagine this. If you asked Joseph, Joseph, was all the suffering you went through early in your life, the rejection by your brothers, being sold into slavery, slavery, wrongly imprisoned, was going through all that suffering worth the life you now have? 
where you are powerful and wealthy and have a family and are saving thousands of people's lives, was this early suffering worth the life you now have? What do you think Joseph would say? I don't know. I don't know if he would say it was worth it or not. I, I, I've grappled with that question myself and with other people who've been abused. Does anything make this worth this? I know one thing. Joseph's success never wiped away the memory of his family. The famine, it hits Canaan where his family is living. And so sure enough, his brothers come to buy grain. And they don't recognize this Egyptian ruler standing in front of them. But Joseph recognizes them immediately. So what do you do? What do you do when family members or loved ones who have mistreated you or taken advantage of you or maybe even abused you? What do you do when they want to come back into your life again? Like, do you just harden your heart and build this impenetrable wall so that you can't be hurt again, but also no healing can come? Or do you just say, well, they're family, and you throw your arms wide open, and because that's the loving thing to do, but then there is no accountability There is no repentance required and there is no transformation and you're completely vulnerable. Is there some middle ground of love and boundaries that actually helps lead the offending person to repentance and transformation so that then the family can be reconciled? Joseph, he manages to find this middle ground of love and forgiveness and yet boundaries and justice. We're going to see how he does that. Um, First, he devises a test. He doesn't reveal his identity and he pretends to be very stern with his brothers. I don't know, that may not have been a complete act. Um, But he accuses them of being spies. And they're like, we're not spies. He's like, you're spies. They're like, oh, we're brothers. He's like, really, all of you are brothers. He's like, yes, one father. Tell me about this father of yours. And so they tell him about their father. And they're like, and we got another son, brother. And, and like, they think this Egyptian ruler is just interrogating them to check out their story. But Joseph, he's trying to find out if his father and his brother Benjamin are still alive. And um, the whole time, they're talking through an interpreter. Because they think he's an Egyptian. But of course, I mean, Joseph, he doesn't need an interpreter, does he? No. So as this interrogation is going on, they begin, the brothers start talking amongst themselves and saying things like, God, this is God's judgment on us because of what we did to Joseph long ago and we should have never done that and Reuben speaks up and he says I told you not to hurt the boy and like Joseph 
loses it. He just, he loses it. He starts to cry. He has to go away. This is like a a hurricane of buried emotions welling up in Joseph. And like he... Facing these brothers who sold him into slavery, this is probably the most difficult place God has led Joseph to yet. And he doesn't know if he can trust them. He hears them repent. But how many times do people say they're sorry for things but then keep repeating the same action? Right? He doesn't know if he can trust them. And he weeps because he cares. His heart isn't hardened. He cares. He weeps because he hears them repenting, but he doesn't know if they trans- are transformed. So he, he gathers his composure, and he offers both generosity and boundaries at the same time. That's what he's going to do. Basically, Joseph, he's going to be very generous to them one time, but set boundaries if they're ever going to come back to him again, these things need to change. And as I was thinking about this and how um, it relates to our life and our culture, I thought about um, how many parents I know who struggle with whether or not to financially bail out adult children who've been irresponsible. And this is a real struggle because you like you love them, you want to help them, but it's like, I don't want to enable them. And it's a hard thing to decide what to do. And then if if your adult child then has another child, you feel stuck, right? Because you don't want the grandbaby to suffer. And that's kind of the same position Joseph is in because he doesn't want his baby brother, Benjamin, to suffer. But he has no idea if they're actually going to even share the grain with him. Like, if he gives them the financial assistance, are they just going to use it for themselves? Or are they also going to take care of Benjamin? And so he, what Joseph does is he, um, he's very generous. He gives them the grain at no cost. They don't know that. They pay for it. He sneaks the money back into their sacks, you know. But this, this generosity, it shows his love and affection for them. It shows how he has forgiven them. But at the same time, he establishes this boundary. If you're going to come back to me and ask me for more help, you got to bring Benjamin alive and well. That's the boundary he establishes. And he lets them know that and sets that expectation ahead of time. Now, he does this without ever revealing he's Joseph. Like, the brothers still think he's an Egyptian ruler who just cries a lot. So they go back to Canaan. Time goes by. The family runs out of grain again. And they know they cannot go back for more help unless they've taken care of Benjamin. And so they come back with Benjamin. Joseph sees them. He sees that they have abided by the boundary. And so once again, he is generous to them. And he prepares this lavish feast for them. And he's in there eating with his brothers. And again, he, oh my goodness, he, it is tough. 
and he can't handle it, and he starts to break down, and he has to run away because he's crying too hard. But he again decides he's they 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 abided by the boundary, so he's going to be generous again. He gives them as much grain as their donkeys can carry, sneaks the money back into the sack again, but he also sneaks something else back into the sack. A silver cup into Benjamin's sack. And so the next morning, the brothers are headed out, and Joseph sends his steward after them. And the steward waves him down and says, Hey, like my master was hospitable to you. He gave you this large feast in his home and, and you respond by stealing his cup out of his own home? And the brothers are like, we didn't steal anything. And the steward's like, yes, you did. No, we didn't check our sacks. There's nothing in there. You check them. If you find them, whoever told, stole it is going to die and the rest of us will be your slaves because there's nothing in our sacks. Okay, so the steward, he checks the sacks. And of course, in Benjamin's sack is the cup. And the brothers are like, oh, crap. <laughs> so now they go back and to Joseph's house and they just like fall on their knees and their faces before Joseph. And Joseph is like, seriously, did you think I would not find out? And you know who speaks? Judah. Judah is the one who speaks up, the one who came up with the grand idea of selling Joseph into slavery. Let's read chapter 44, verse 16. Chapter 44, verse 16. What can we say, my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. He throws himself in the same boat as Benjamin. Do you see that? Joseph said, far be it for me to do such a thing. Only the man who has found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you go back to your father in peace. Joseph is giving Judah every incentive to betray his brother again. I think Joseph is doing two things. One, he's coming up with a way to keep Benjamin with him. He doesn't want to make Benjamin a slave. He just doesn't want Benjamin to go back to that family where he may be abused. So he's devised a way and a reason to keep Benjamin with him. But he's also testing to see if his brothers have truly changed. This is the same scenario playing out where they have an opportunity to abandon their favorite half-brother and gain from it. In this case, gain their own freedom. Next verse, verse 18. Then Judah went to him, Joseph, and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Now he's going to say your servant a lot. He's going to say, I'm your servant. My father's your servant. We're all your servants. Like he's begging here. Okay. Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to you. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or brother? 
He's referring to their interrogation the first time they came to Egypt. And we answered, we have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And, and we told you, we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told us, your servants, unless the youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what you had said. Then our father said, go back and buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if the youngest brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, he said to us, Well, you know that my wife only bore me two sons. One of them went away. And I said, Surely he's been torn to pieces. And I have not seen him since. And if now you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he's going to die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your servant, me, Judah, guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please let me, your servant, remain here as your slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah offers to sacrifice his life for Benjamin. He offers to sacrifice his freedom so that Benjamin can go free. Do you see the transformation that's happened here? And Joseph can't take it. He cannot handle it. The very next verse, 45 verse 1, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, the famine will continue. There'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. That is an incredible statement of faith. And he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household and ruler of Egypt. So hurry back to father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. 
God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down here. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. This is a family reunion. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your whole household and all who belong to you will become destitute. They're still in shock. The brothers are still in shock. So Joseph says, look, you can see for yourselves. And so can my brother Benjamin. It is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and everything you have seen. And bring father down here quickly. And then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And his brother Benjamin embraced him weeping. And then he kissed all his brothers and he wept over all of them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. The brothers go back and um, they bring their entire family. And this is like grand reunion with more weeping that happens. And um, like one of my favorite verses is Joseph takes his father Isaac in front of Pharaoh. And like the first thing Pharaoh says to Isaac is like, how old are you? <laughs> and Isaac's like, I'm 130 some. Okay. Um, but it's this grand reunion. And near the end of the book, Joseph tells his brother something that really is a summary statement of the entire book of Genesis. And it's also kind of a main theme of the entire Bible. It's this, you intended to harm me. What humans intend for harm, God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. My friends, Joseph is not only a model of how we are to forgive and help our families reconcile. More importantly, Joseph is a model of how God forgives us. Dr. Timothy Keller says, No other religion has a weeping God. There is no other religion where God weeps over humanity, over our broken relationship with him and our broken relationships with each other. But God weeps over us. But he's not helpless in his weeping. He also has a plan. (laughs) He has a plan to rescue us from the mess we've created, no matter how comfortable we are in it. Because Lord knows we can get very comfortable in our messes and very good at justifying our own dysfunction. But he has a plan to lead us out of it to a place where then he can bless us inwardly and outwardly and turn us into a blessing for other people. Without, he, he leads us to this place so we will repent. And some of us, we will not repent until we hit rock bottom. So he will lead us to where we will repent so then we can be transformed. Because without repentance and transformation, a renewed relationship is not possible. I mean, you think about it, um, where there's been family divisions or broken relationships 
There's three things that are necessary for those relationships to be restored. The first thing is that the person who has been hurt must forgive. Like without that, there's no way that relationship can be healed. The person who's been hurt must forgive. But secondly, the offending person must repent, right? And they have to not only repent, they have to be transformed so that the behavior doesn't keep repeating itself. Those three things are necessary for relationships to be restored. And guys, we have all sinned against God. We've all rejected him. And God, he doesn't get bitter. He forgives us. He weeps over us. But he's not helpless in his forgiveness. God's forgiveness isn't the kind that just leaves you in the mess that you created. God's forgiveness will lead you out of it, out of where you're comfortable, to a place where he's going to bless you and make you into a blessing. And one of the ways he makes you into a blessing is you become a vehicle of his forgiveness to others so they can be healed and transformed as well. That's what he did in the life of Joseph. And what God did in and through Joseph, he can do in and through you. God can turn you into a blessing that extends his forgiveness to other people so they are transformed and healed. It may be a long road to get there. When you're following God and he's pulling you out of your mess and he's blessing you, which means he's changing some of your character traits, right? That can be a long road. And if you get bitter along the way, if you start feeling slighted, when people don't act like they should, then you'll never know the transforming forgiveness of God. And you'll never become a blessing through which other people are transformed. You cannot be bitter and be a blessing. You cannot be bitter and be a blessing. You have to choose. You have to choose. What do you want more? Do you want more to hold on to your right to be offended? Or do you want more to be a blessing through which other people are healed? When we don't act like we should, because <laughs> we all have those moments, right? When we don't act like we should, God doesn't become bitter. He weeps over us. And he offers us love and forgiveness with a boundary. That if we follow him, he's going to bless us and turn us into a blessing. So, I ask you to decide today. I think there's a first time that we make this decision to receive God's forgiveness and to follow Him. But I don't think it's a one-time decision. Life is tough, and sometimes some of us, we make that decision, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, I need you, I receive your forgiveness, and I'm going to follow you, and we start following God, and the road gets tough. Or we're following God and, you know, he works on us and gets enough junk out that we think, oh, I'm pretty good. And then we just sit down. 
And we're like, I've come this far, and this far is good enough. And there comes other moments in our lives where we have to choose again to receive more of God's forgiveness and to continue following. I can mark those moments in my life on a timeline. And I don't know today if you are following or if you're sitting or if you have to decide for the first time to receive God's forgiveness and begin following him. But I ask you to make that decision. It's the best decision you'll ever make and that you'll continue to make. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you that you do not turn your back on us, that you do not get bitter and just angry with us, but you have compassion and you love us and you forgive us. And I thank you that you're also not just helpless and vulnerable in your forgiveness, but your forgiveness transforms. And so God, now... We admit that we're sinners. We're people who go our own way and we reject you. We, we accept you when it works for us. But when it doesn't, we go our own way. And we confess that and we say, we're sorry, Lord. And we receive your forgiveness. And God, we pray your Holy Spirit will come into us and assure us of your forgiveness, but also begin to lead us and give us the courage and desire to follow out of our comfort zones, no matter where you lead us, God. And help us to serve you to the best of our abilities and have faith that you're going to bless us no matter what current circumstance we're in. And God, I pray because so many of us do have broken relationships or strained relationships in our lives. And it is very hard to know how to give forgiveness and yet set healthy boundaries at the same time. And Lord, I just pray you give us wisdom and insight how to do that. So that we can become a vehicle of your kind of forgiveness. Not forgiveness that enables people to keep hurting and sinning, but the kind of forgiveness that leads people to repentance and transformation. May you use us to be a blessing to people in that way, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.